are entering the Freedom Hut. The special counsel is running amok. Now we know that Robert Mueller's team wants witnesses to turn over their phones to inspect encrypted messaging programs. He's just going to keep on searching and looking until he gets more people ensnared in the machinery of this investigation that we all know is a farce and that won't do anything to answer any questions about Russia collusion because there was no collusion. Also, some major arrests, uh, large-scale arrests down at the border, uh, 50,000 recently. We're going to talk about what's going on with border security. Where is the administration on this? Plus the latest on the upcoming summit in Singapore, Trump and trade and China, and oh, so much more coming up. On the Buck this, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The constitutional crisis alarm bells are ringing. But is anybody listening? We're heading into a constitutional crisis. So are we at a crisis point here? Maybe we're at a constitutional crisis. I don't know. We hear the phrase constitutional crisis repeated over and over again. On the verge of a constitutional crisis. It's a view of the presidency imbued with absolute power that raises the specter of a constitutional question or crisis even. This is exactly the kind of constitutional crisis experts have been warning about. When does it cross over into being a constitutional crisis? This is a shocking breach of democratic norms. This is an assault on the rule of law. This is an assault on the Constitution. This is unconscionable what Donald Trump is doing here. He is assaulting the FBI and the Department of Justice because he is meddling in the investigation of his own campaign. <laughs> what, what, can I, what is the constitutional crisis supposed to be, everybody? Welcome to the Buck Saxton Show. Great to have you here. I, I just, I love that montage, man. Oh, they keep telling us about this crisis. A crisis is a very serious situation, you know, very severe uh, penalties or risks involved with it. What is this crisis? We keep hearing about it. Oh my gosh, the president's going to cause a constitutional crisis. How? What? Where? <laughs> These are the very basic questions. And this is all to say that uh, there is no turning back for a lot of these major media organizations that we all have to keep in mind are are tied in not just with the Democratic Party, but with big business and with some very powerful and influential people in the country and really with a way of thinking. You know, coastal elitism in this country is an identity. It's something we don't often think about in the context of identity politics, but it, it's important to remember it as such that those who subscribe to the look I subscribe to the New York Times right but those who subscribe and believe and and put all of their stock in the New York Times think that it's objective news who watch CNN or maybe NBC or one of these things uh, they believe that those are all parts of their own their own personal brand and that's why they will never accept what's happened here the last 18 months which is that the media has gone out on this limb and the branches cracking. They're they're not going to have this big payoff moment with Russia collusion. They're not going to end this presidency. He's not going to get impeached or removed from office. Even if he does get impeached by the House, if that were to, that would just be a function of electoral politics. 
And I think the backlash against that, against the Democrats, would outweigh the benefits of the long term. But real point here is they're they're running out of steam. And next week, I believe, right, we're we're told that the the inspector general report from the FBI uh, is supposed to be out next week. It is going to be a really tough one for the deep state. It's going to be a really difficult few days, maybe more than that, for people who have been, for example, justifying the Mueller probe, the special counsel probe, by just using the refrain, "Oh, well, look at all the different, look at all the different criminal charges." What's it going to be if you have the former acting FBI director, Deputy Director McCabe, escapes criminal charges by the skin of his teeth, which is what we're hearing today. This is a report from CNN. McCabe seeks immunity for testimony in congressional hearing over FBI handling of Clinton email probe. You know, the other side on this one, right, the anti-Trump folks who are out there don't ever have answers for these very basic questions like, what are we supposed to make of Comey and McCabe and these other very powerful folks at DOJ who are just clearly, objectively acting very weirdly, at a minimum, very weirdly when it came to Hillary's emails, when it came to Trump-Russia collusion and all that stuff. You have Comey who steps in front of the Attorney General Loretta Lynch on a tarmac Oh, sorry, not on tarmac, on national TV, after she had had the tarmac meeting. And that's going to be a part of this IG report, I'm sure. By the way, we're going to have Sarah Carter joining later on in the show. She's just been pulsing her sources. She's got a new piece out on this one. To check in with her for a bit of a preview of the of the IG fest that is coming up, I think, next week's when the report's going to be released. It's going to be 400 pages, so 400-plus pages. But you can't explain these things. It's not normal behavior what Comey did. It's not normal to hold meetings with a former employee of special employee of yours at the FBI and give him documents that are almost certainly classified to leak to the New York Times because of your personal vendetta against a sitting president. That's not normal. Right? What McCabe did, the lies, lying to the to his own inspector general on multiple occasions, this is now been documented it's out there it's why mccabe's seeking immunity that's not normal and they have no explanations for this they just say oh if you talk about a deep state you're crazy and trump is so bad because of x y and z but they never give us any explanations I, one of the things you're hearing a lot recently uh, i've been hearing a lot recently and, and reading as well as people say if they started this whole investigation into russia collusion uh, as a means of hurting the Trump campaign, right? Or if they abuse their authorities and powers under FISA and other, which I quite obviously think they did, they did abuse them, right? But if that was true, why not leak it before the election? This is now, and I see people repeating this, see, you know, why, why keep it quiet? Why keep it from the, they didn't tell the Gang of Eight about some of this, right? Gang of Eight, you know, Senate and House leadership and, uh, the ranking member and chairman of the respective intelligence committees, right? That's the so-called gang of eight in this context in D.C. They kept it so hush-hush. Why? Why focus just on these peripheral figures like uh, Papadopoulos and Carter Page? Well, 
because they were fishing. They were looking for bigger stuff. Can you imagine what the response would have been? People seem to think, you know, if we go back in time, that summer before the election, if we heard that there was some FBI investigation going on of the Trump campaign, but we couldn't hear about it, we couldn't be given any facts about it because it's classified, and they, all they could tell us is that there's an investigation, which under DOJ guidelines are not even supposed to talk about, it, but let's say they did. Does anyone really think that that would have, that, that, that they could have known whether that would help or hurt Trump? Of course not. He was talking about how the election results might be rigged before he knew anything about any of this, right? That narrative would have become so powerful because it would have been true. It would have been obvious. So you spend a few minutes thinking about this most recent defense. You know, why, why did they not, leak more about this before the election and people say this like they've got some checkmates in there oh yeah we've got you now if you were really serious about, or if they were really serious about throwing the election they would have done it before that would have been at a minimum an incredibly risky gamble and more likely i i think would have backfired terribly on them oh yeah we're we're doing an fbi investigation at the same time hillary by the way is being investigated for clear violations of law. You know, play this one out in your heads, folks. Isn't it crazy? Imagine this. It's July of 2016. News story breaks. FBI involved in secret investigation of Trump campaign for ties to Russia. Does anyone really think that the response to that from all of the, forget about crazy Democrats, all of the people who voted for Trump would have been anything other than this is a scam? Oh, it just happens to be the case that while Hillary is being investigated by the FBI, Trump is also being investigated by the FBI, and they won't tell us anything. about. With Hillary, we all knew. It was about emails. We're going to find out. With Trump, it's no, no, can't talk to you about it. Sources and methods. With an Obama White House behind the scenes calling the shots, right? Nobody would have done that. So I just, it's, it's, a, it's a self-refuting, and I'm seeing this argument made and I, I do pick up the sense that there's a, there's a desperation in this, right? There's grasping for some explanation. This brings me back to what I was talking about at the beginning. People are going to feel very dumb when all of this is over, or, or they should feel very dumb when all this is over. And when I say people, I'm not just talking about random folks. I mean those who make a living and whose careers are all about getting the facts, getting it uh, straight and telling the truth, or at least that's what they say it's about. It's not really what they do. They are propagandists and activists posing as journalists. But they're, they're running out of room here. I mean, that's why with Mueller saying he wants access to all these encrypted devices, and you know, it, it, at some point it, it seems to me to be too clear for anyone to ignore that there's just abuse going on here. Uh, when do we get to say the Mueller probe is enough? What did they spend? They spent $16 million. Was it $30 million? I can't even remember now. Mike, how many millions did they spend on the probe? Was it 16 or 30 It was one of those two numbers, I think. The yeah, last I heard was 17 17 Yeah, that's okay. $17 million. That's what I thought. So I could have rounded that one up a little bit. They probably got a couple extra sandwiches. But this is just where the whole thing's ridiculous. And now you've got the acting FBI director who is at the center of the Hillary investigation, at the center of, remember, you know, 
that discussion in Andy's office about the insurance policy. We know about that because of the text exchange between Strzok and Page. Remember all that? Now McCabe is looking for immunity to testify? When former FBI deputy directors haven't done anything wrong, they're not running around shopping for immunity. People say, oh, well, you know, if you, if you, if you don't do anything wrong, re- and remember the logic that they apply. Oh, well, if Mueller presses charges against you for lying, you must be a criminal. Well, actually, it can be a very precarious thing to testify in front of seasoned prosecutors who have you for hours at a time, who have all the answers to all the questions they ask you, who can reverse the order of the questions, who can try to catch you in an unguarded moment. Oh, that's right. It's illegal for the FBI to do that under oath, too. Andy McCabe might be finding that out the hard way. But they'll they'll all say, oh, well, just because he needs immunity doesn't mean there's anything wrong. You know, the, the, the rules change every day, folks, depending on you know, whose ox is gored, depending on which team feels like they're taking the hit. No principles at all on display from the anti-Trump left with this stuff. And I think it's going to be quite a uh, revelation, even though it's my belief, and we'll ask Sarah Carter about this later on, it's my belief that most of what we find out from this IG report coming out uh, is going to be information that we kind of know, but at least it'll be out there, it'll be official, and people won't be able to use weasel words and just shift the conversation around the fact that Comey bailed Hillary out. Not just Hillary, Comey bailed Loretta Lynch out, and in doing so bailed out the Obama administration. Obama's attorney general should have had to bear the brunt of public disdain for standing in front of us and saying that Hillary violated the law over a hundred times in in clear ways based on the existence of classified information on our server. You guys all know the backstory to that. We should have had Obama's attorney general during the election look at us all in the face and say, sorry, no charges for Hillary because she's above the law. No, no. Instead, we get those same people, the same advocates for Hillary, the same advocates for Obama, Loretta Lynch, and the whole previous White House crew telling us the problem here is that Trump thinks he's above the law because he's exercising constitutional powers like the power to pardon. And they would just like to take those away from him. And so they call this a constitutional crisis. They don't even know what the crisis is. And they have reached the boy cried wolf stage many times over. If there ever was a constitutional crisis, nobody would listen to these people. I also find there's some irony with the uh, Democrat media left here talking about the Constitution all the time, when usually they find it to be an archaic little suggestion box written by a bunch of dead white men. That's usually how they view the Constitution. But now it's a constitutional crisis. 844-900-BUCK, if you want to chat with me, my friends. 844-900-2825. We are just getting rocking here in the Freedom Hunt. We'll be right back. The more you read, the more you have to wonder if there was never a serious, credible investigation into Hillary Clinton. You just have to scratch your head at the whole manner in which the FBI investigated Hillary, exonerated Hillary, and particularly the manner in which James Comey took it upon himself to make the report instead of letting the Department of Justice decide whether or not to indict Hillary. 
everything about it seems suspect now. Yeah, the whole thing stinks. It's rotten. No question about it. It's it's just clear. And we're expected to move past all that. And now you have all these people oh, just tisk, tisking us. Oh, sir, did you hear what Trump said? He's shredding the rule of law. And he's causing a constitutional crisis. What, what's the... Uh, well, what is he? What article of the Constitution is he is he violating in his role as as executive and commander in chief? You know the Constitution, the thingy in the old paper that people read sometimes in places. Okay, that's not the most compelling argument, but it sounds scary, right? But you'll notice that in his first six months in office, they kept talking about fascism, folks. I I refuse to let them off the hook for this. There were reports in supposedly serious newspapers and on cable news channels about fascism in this country. Oh, yeah. Remember the alt-right, the big alt-right boogeyman? Oh, we were all supposed to be terrified that a bunch of losers in khaki pants with tiki torches were going to be terrorizing the rest of America. No, it's a pack of losers. You know, they're, they're idiots. We want nothing to do with them. They don't represent anybody. I mean, but this is... This is what they do. It's the same way that every time an election comes up, the national level, Republicans get asked, you know, what do you think of David Duke? So what do I think of the, the idiot racist? What does that have to do with anything? You know, do, do I ask, you know, do you ask Democrats about what the guy on the street corner with the sign that says tomorrow is our last day on Earth? You ask what he thinks about that. The, the dishonesty is shocking. It's 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 incredible. Even when you know it's coming, you can't help but be a little taken aback by it. And the dishonesty around the Hillary email investigation is just another case in point. It really is. I remember, man, I was over at CNN. I kept saying to them, guys, if there's classified in those emails, I would say this on and off air. If there's classified in those emails, she's, you know, that's a crime. She's in trouble. You can't do that. You know, you could give someone the benefit of the doubt and use a mens rea standard that's not even the statute. Maybe once, maybe a couple times. Over a hundred times? It wasn't a mistake. She just didn't care. Just thought she was above the law. Wasn't going to matter. She was too powerful to have to obey the rules. And I'm not somebody who said she should have gone to jail for 20 years or whatever, but she should have had to take a plea and a criminal charge. Yeah. Because that's what would have happened to any... And I know a lot of you listening like, Buck, it would have been even worse than that. You know that. We've had clearances, right? Well, it would have been something. Instead, they made it nothing. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Forget about the fact that Kim Kardashian is here at the White House today <laughs> and what planet that is uh, anything resembling normal, because it's not. Uh, she shouldn't be here talking about prison reform. It's very nice that she is here. She shouldn't that's be not here. a serious thing to, to have happen here at the White House. Jim Acosta, senior White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. Kim Kardashian shouldn't be here. You, you know who's happy that... Kim Kardashian was in the Oval Office, I'm, I'm willing to bet. Alice Johnson, who, after 22 years in prison, now, because of President Trump, will be released from prison and will be able to build her life again and be with her family and be around friends and get a second chance. <laughs> why, why is Kim Kardashian going, oh my gosh, I mean, was he wearing a monocle for that segment with, like, a top hat? 
What is she doing in there? That's only for important White House reporters. Newsflash. Anybody with a ninth grade or so reading level could basically be a White House reporter. I'm not saying they could be a great one, but you sit there, you ask some questions, you write some stuff down. Let's, let's, not, let's not get too, too full of ourselves here, okay? You're, you're not putting together the next great American novel every day. Oh, but my sources and my, you know, my, the, the economical use of prose and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. It's really all about how you look into that camera. Do I come across like I have a lot, you know my favorite word, a lot of gravitas? That's all you need, man. You can be a big-time news anchor, make millions of dollars. You have to look the part. Look at Brian Williams, you know? Just, you'd be like Brian Williams going to be like, yes, I'm here. I read the news to you. I'm also a ninth-degree black belt in Kenpo Karate, an astronaut, and the world's single greatest bullfighter trained in Alaska, no doubt. Just make it up as you go along. That sounds like a pretty cool resume, right? Brian Williams, out. So uh, there you have it. But I think, wait, can we give a little a little, a little love tap slash buck slap to a Jim Acosta there, John? Yeah. I think he deserves it. Yeah, that's right. Make, make fun of Kim Kardashian. Now someone just got their grandma back. Look, she served her time. She, she committed the crime. I'm not, you know, this is, there are laws for a reason, folks, right? But she served 22 years, I think, you know, and if she was a first-time offender, it seems like a good candidate for clemency. It sends a message also to everybody in prison, as well as to minority communities that are disproportionately, uh, look, disproportionately impacted by the criminal justice system. It's a genteel way of putting the whole situation. Um, But it sends a message that, you know, people can reform, can pay their debt to society, and then can become a part of society again. And if you're not a violent threat to society, I think that, that... you know, most folks really need to be given that second chance, you know, unless you've really hurt someone or really done something terrible, which there are some people I'm like, lock away the lock them away, throw away the key, bury them under the prison for all I care. Um, but I don't think a first time drug offense meets that threshold, obviously. Just some other some other stuff that, that caught my eye on. Uh, on cable news, which occasionally I just like to dip into this and go, wow, look at what some of the other folks are doing these days. So Anna Navarro is uh, um, of the CNN punditry class. My recollection of her was being the rudest with the least basis for her rudeness, meaning or or maybe the most arrogant with the least basis in reality for her arrogance. Never says anything insightful, never says anything particularly interesting, just plays a, a role on TV. And they treat her with tremendous deference over there. You know, she's now in a similar category to, say, uh, Donna Brazil, who I would go over there and and once an anchor. This is actually a true story. Donna Brazil interrupted me when I, when the when the anchor asked me a question and then tried to, like, shout me down for interrupting her when I wouldn't stop talking after she had interrupted me and claimed that I was interrupting her. And even then, the CNN anchor had to be like, uh, like, how do like, he was trying to, you know, of course tag team with her against me, but that's a tough one, right? If, if I'm talking and someone interrupts me and then they start yelling, stop interrupting me, that's, are you, are you, you know, you bipolar or something? That's a strange thing to do. But she was treated like royalty over there until she fed the uh, debate questions to Hillary to help him beat, help her, pardon me, uh, beat Bernie. Uh, 
That was a problem. But Anna Navarro is treated like royalty over at CNN, which tells you a lot about that organization and just the kind of values that it has. Like she's, a, she's nasty to people on and off the air. I have no interest in ever. Uh, anyway, I, I'll, I will stop. You know, if you, if you got nothing nice, if you have nothing nice to say, it's an important rule. Uh, but this was just an interesting little exchange. Play clip 13. We've been at this for months and months and months, including Devin Nunez mismanaging the process on the House side, which Paul Ryan is responsible for. Okay, right. I gotta tell you, wait, 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 I got to okay. tell you, it's Nunez, not Nunez, Portuguese, not Latino. All right. You know, I got to say, I, I've been corrected here, you know, by some of you, so I don't make that error. So Mr. Fancy Intelligence Guy, uh, Phil Mudd over at CNN, I've talked to him. He seemed like a reasonably nice guy. I don't really, you know, I, I, I got no beef with Mud as a person. What he says on air is a whole separate thing. Navarro is just is is rude. I mean, I I will say it's just not somebody you want to. I would ever want to deal with again. Um, but I just thought that was kind of funny because I I am, make a point, and some of you listening know this because you've emailed me. They always say Nunez, and it almost feels a little like I want to sound fancy. You know, I want to sound fancy and write and say Nunez because, you know, I feel very like Antonio Banderas in one of those movies where he's like the very charismatic, you know, Latin hero, whatever it may be. I kind of like Desperado, even though it's like a good movie, but it's a garbage movie at the same time. I actually wrote to uh, Rob O'Neill just randomly on either Twitter or Instagram. I can't remember. He, he had a photo up of. His book in translation, uh, you know, the operator. We've had Rob on the show before. We talked about his book on the show. He's the he's the Navy SEAL shop in Laden. And I just wrote to him. I thought it was funny that seeing it written on the book El Operador, I was like, that sounds even cooler. Like you carry your M4 in a guitar case, and the enemy enemy only calls you Diablo when you're not around. You know, like that would be. And it was a it was a reference to Desperado for those of you who haven't who haven't seen the movie which which I think is is a good movie. Although there's one point at which Antonio Banderas decides to just say it's so much easier to destroy than to create and it's like, yeah man, that's deep. <laughs> good job. Good job with that one. Uh but yeah, Navarro corrected Phil Mudd there. I just thought that was funny cuz I've I've make a point of saying Nunez instead of Nunez. Uh but a much better cable news throwdown is coming your way here. This one, producer Mike waved this one down for me. He's like, you just got to see this one. Um, the California primary happened last night, and things got a little bit feisty. Play 14. But he's been a very effective president, and his numbers in Orange County, and I can't speak for Los Angeles, which is now a third world kind of uh, poverty-stricken area, but in Orange County, I can, I can tell you, sadly it is. <laughs> But I, but, I can, but, but I can tell you, well, you, you live there, so I, I who's crazy? I, that's not, that's I would not call Los Angeles that. I think it's actually got it's a lot. It's the though. highest percentage of poverty in America for any major county in the it's story. because of the but cost that, of housing. Yeah, now, I why don't you answer the question well, wait, wait, instead of are just you, trashing are, Los well, Angeles? Wait, are you, you the one in charge of this program? You know what's changed Hold on. Yeah, I'd like to talk to Katie, not to you. You're the one that's not in charge of this show. You're not answering the question. There's a good Democrat. Democrat hack partisan for you, but Gentlemen. let's go forward. Orange hack, County hack, hack is just what. Shut up. Why don't you just win just a race once in your life? You just lost every up. race you've ever been. Guys, That's I'm going to kick you both back, offset unless you unless you come back down. to the. I didn't intrude. I didn't start but this. Both of oh, you just he did it. Sweep the leg. <laughs> there you no go, Sean. That's right, dude. Perfect. 
That's the advice they need right there. No mercy, man. That guy, the moment you start yelling shut up on TV, you know, you know you crossed over to the other side. But I, I think that there's something there's something there with the the sensitivity over what we're seeing play out right now in California. Uh, people are realizing that this unrestrained liberalism at the state level, in a state as populous and, and otherwise wealthy as California, is a warning sign to the rest of the country of what happens when you take the approach to homelessness and vagrancy that particularly not just California, but Los Angeles does. I was out there about a couple of months ago now, and I, I was amazed. I mean, there there are straight up, you walk around Hollywood, there are like little tent cities you walk past on the street. And you can say, oh, Buck, that's, you know, people need a place to go and everything. Yeah, but if, if public parks turn into places where vagrants all congregate and gather, guess what? They're, there's a lot of stuff that's going on out in the public eye that you're not going to want to see, that your kids cer- certainly should not see. It is unsanitary. You have, a lot, you have people that are uh, often posing. A, a public nuisance, if not some kind of threat. I know a vast majority of, look, the homeless population is a very serious problem and it's something that nationwide should be, those people deserve help, but there are some within that community who are also a danger to the community. It's a small percentage, but it exists. Now you're seeing this play on California, though, and you can tell the Democrats get a little, a little touchy about it because, you know, they can't argue with the photos we see. Uh, they can't argue with, with the numbers as well. I mean, I see people now, who was it? Uh, gosh, one of these, there's so many of these congressional races, and it, look, it, I'll be honest, it's tough to pretend to care about all of them, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks in Congress, you know, especially a lot of members of the House. They kind of come and go. It's tough to get that excited about it. But one of them, um, I, I want to say in Georgia, has a whole like Medicare for, Medicare for all platform. I think it was one in Georgia. I might even be off on that. But the fact that Democrats will even talk about Medicare for all, we saw what the estimate would be, the cost estimate of Medicare for all in California, and it would just bankrupt the state. I mean, just straight up, like, gone. Like, no more money for anything else other than Medicare for all. I mean, when I mean that, I don't mean for all retirees or, no, no, for every person. It's ruinously expensive right now, and it's only for those 65 and over. Can you imagine if you extend it all the way down the, the chain, but this is a this is a talking point that has residents in in Democrat circles. This is something that people get excited about, like yeah, Medicare for all and free college. I was excited to see that Mizzou, which was the you guys remember the uh, the professor who did the whole like we need some muscle over here. She actually sounds a lot like Hillary. It's a true story. We need some muscle over here. She was yelling it at a protest because someone was filming a protest in a public square on a university campus. And, and she's like, you can't film. And she started yelling about how you can't film and all this stuff. And she got fired. She was, she was actually an associate professor of communications in one of the great ironies. Mizzou, uh, right, Missouri State University. It's, that's Mizzou. I don't know. I forget. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know much about Mizzou until this. I still don't know much about Mizzou. Applications are down, I think, 20 or 30% you know, in about a 12-month period since that whole thing played out. So, you know, people are paying more attention to uh, the notion of not just free college, but what are you getting in college, which is a very important discussion. Something we'll talk more about, I can assure you of that. Uh, 844-900-2825. 
If you want to chat, 844-900-BUCK. We've got immigration stories to discuss. The economy, which is just amazing. I mean, you you know, we have made the economy great again. That That is, does anyone really argue with that right now? Economy wasn't always great. It's great right now. So isn't it then fair to say we have made the economy great again, or this Trump administration has done so? Stupid question. Thank you, John. We'll be right back. The pardon process is supposed to be based on justice and to vindicate the societal values of forgiveness and mercy. Unfortunately, the president has perverted the pardon process, and now it seems like he's pardoning people based on their celebrity status or because a celebrity talked to him. In this case, it's pretty clear that the only reason Trump pardoned Ms. Johnson is because Kim Kardashian talked to Donald Trump about this case. That shouldn't be how it works. It shouldn't be based on which celebrities have access to the president or the wealthy or who has connections. It should be based on a process, and I urge the president to go back to the same process all previous presidents have used. I got to tell you, Congressman Ted Lieu there, I I don't know how to describe it other than he's just being a hater. Trump, he didn't commute a celebrity sentence. He commuted, and the the White House put a statement out on it today, uh, the sentence of a woman who... Served 22 years, African-American and grandmother. And and Ted Lieu, I want to be very clear, is complaining about this. He's complaining about it. This is where you see it, folks. Democrats, they don't actually care about minorities. They pretend to care. They don't actually care about the suffering in urban communities from poverty and crime. They pretend to care. How can you not be happy? I mean, the president let a a woman out of prison, African-American grandmother, serve 20 years. It was in front of Obama. Obama gave clemency to over a thousand people towards the end of his presidency. He didn't give it to her, though. It's always somewhat arbitrary. It's always based on who, you know, you know, can you get your story out there and everything? You know, the pardon, the pardon power is just that it is a power. It is. And it is one that. You know, they really thought about originally for like insurrections and rebellions and things like that, right? I don't think, but, you know, it's been more than that, too. This is, you know, I think the Trump administration is making good use of it. Doug in Coolville, Ohio. Best name of a town I've heard in a long time. Doug, we got a minute and change. I wanted to get you in. Hey, thanks a lot. It's great to hear you. Nice. I love listening to your show. Thank you so much. Uh, I was wondering now if it's not proper for President Trump, uh, Trump to uh, pardon people. Isn't what they're doing with the, all of these, um, uh, yeah, I lost the word, uh, giving them immunity, isn't that kind of like uh, just pre-pardoning them? I'm, I'm confused. I'm sorry. Are you talking about commutations or pardons? Pardons. I mean, I'm sorry. When, when they're giving them immunity for their testimony. Isn't oh. that kind of like just pre-pardoning them? No, I mean, uh, immunity for testimony is different. That That comes from the... That's under prosecutorial discretion. That's not yeah, under presidential. I understand that. Right. I understand that, but I'm just trying to make the point that they're going to complain that, that he's just letting everybody oh, free. Yes. No, I, no, and you've made it. let each other free. Doug, great point. Giving Huma Abedin, uh, giving Huma Abedin a, 
you know, immunity is kind of like a preemptive pardon under the circumstances. Abs- absolutely. And there is an arbitrariness to it. And there is a who do you know and who you connect. Doug, you've made a great point. I'm sorry it took me a moment to grasp it. You're 100% correct there. You notice they don't complain about that. Democrats love prosecutorial discretion, but now they hate presidential discretion all of a sudden. Our sponsor this half hour is Black Rifle Coffee. I I know you've got options when it comes to coffee. And if you're like me, coffee is the one thing you look forward to every day. In fact, it's the one constant seven days a week for me. But I only want to get my coffee from one source, and that is Black Rifle Coffee. Because these guys are all about building a patriotic, great American brand. They offer delicious, premium, small-batch, roast-to-order coffee while supporting America's service members and first responders. Get your coffee from a conservative coffee company. Don't buy it from a bunch of Marxist liberals. Buy it from Black Rifle. Go check it out for yourself at blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Use the coupon code buck15. That's code buck15 for 15% off your entire order. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15 for 15% off your Black Rifle. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Sometimes the swamp actually does something right. It does happen occasionally. Even the sw- the swamp is right. Well, not twice a day, but it does happen. Like a broken clock, even the swamp occasionally will be correct. And I got to say, I like this the, this move by Senator Mitch McConnell, where he's like, all right, if you're not going to do the work you're supposed to do as members of the Senate, Mitch McConnell's getting better. Uh, but but play it, because he uh, he's holding it to the Democrats a little bit on this one. I like it. I've canceled the August recess. We have a lot of important work uh, to do as a result of unprecedented obstruction. The president's made it quite clear he doesn't intend to sign another omnibus. And in order to prevent that, obviously, we should do our work, which is to pass individual appropriation bills. I think we have enough work to do for the American people that we should be here during these weeks. I hope we'll get greater cooperation (laughs) <laughs> I gotta say, this is oh, they're not gonna like this one, Congress. They all the Democrats like to go out to the vineyard and all the Republicans like to go, you know, wherever the Republicans go. I don't know where that is necessarily. To the ranch. Right? To the ranch. How about that? To the mountain house. Uh but you know, this is DC. I've been here before this summer. Man, it's not pleasant. It, when I say it's a swamp, by the way, I'm actually not kidding. I mean, you could classify it as a wetland. It's a low-lying area with lots of water around it, and it is humid and gross in the, in the summer, uh, particularly in August. So now you're going to have members of the Senate. They're going to. I'm going to probably just go for a walk near Capitol Hill, so I can see like Chuck Schumer and Pelosi. Just well, they're going to be chauffeured around by staff. They're not. I was going to say walking around all sweaty, but that's not going to happen. It's going to go from one Rolls Royce to another. Darn it. You know, this is what I always say about summer suits. It's a lie. There's no such thing as a summer suit because you never want to wear a suit in the summer. 
there's just less heavy, uncomfortable suits. But there's no such thing as a summer. You're not like, oh, and people say, oh, Buck, seersucker. It's not really a suit. It's really pajamas in the shape of a suit. Yeah, it doesn't count. Doesn't count. I'm just telling. I'm just telling you the truth, folks. I just tell it like it is. That's what I do here on the show. Anything you can get away with wearing sandals. I see people here, and they do it in the south. I see you guys down there. I know. Where no, where no, where you wear sandals with your uh, with your seersucker suit. I see that happening. What is that? And not just the fraternity bros. I'm talking about, about like. Well, women can wear sandals. I don't really care about that. linen. Oh, linen. I thought you keep saying women with seersucker. I'm like, I don't know. Do, do ladies like seersucker? That's fine. Yeah, linen. The problem with linen is it always looks like you woke up like you're a hobo who slept the night before on a park bench. Yeah, I don't care what you do. Your linen looks, it's all ruffled and ridiculous looking. People are like, oh, do you own an iron? You're like, oh, it's linen. They're like, well, it still looks like you need to iron it. It's not good. Folks, I'm trying to help you here. I'm, I'm here for you. You know, I'm trying to pass along the wisdom of my of my 36 years here. Uh, a lot of you are like, "Buck, I've got twice your years. Why don't you uh, learn? Why don't you learn yourself?" It's a, which would be a fair point. Uh, but anyway, I, I just they're going to be stuck here in the summer. I like that because of they're not they're not doing their jobs. This is a true thing. It's not that they can stop the Senate business from occurring. They're trying to go as slowly as possible, and I would note. For any of you listening, that that is a generally applicable possibility for all kinds of federal jobs. If you are working in the federal bureaucracy and you want to just go super slowly, you can pretty much get away with that. Your work schedule is largely self-paced. Depends on where you are and what you're doing, but it's uh, generally the case. Because process is the product, as I always tell folks. So I like this. They're going to have to get some of these members of Congress sweating it out. These Democrats are going to have to stick around. And, man, they're not going to be happy about that one. So Mitch McConnell, I give him a little bit of a high five on that one. But there's an area that I am not going to relent on, that I will not let go. It's very important. And it is the border. We had the attorney general on yesterday because that's how we roll. And he was telling us about what's going on with the board. So you're saying, look, this is what's real. This is what's not when it comes to separating parents from children, all the stuff you've been hearing about. Okay, fine. So we had all that discussion. That's great. We got to know that. But we also talked about the surge of the border. I asked him, he said, yeah, there has been a surge of the border. Now, reporting today and uh, hat tip drudge report for the link is that border arrests exceeded 50,000 for the month of May, which is the third time in a row there have been 50,000 arrests at the border. Now, this is a, there are two parts to this. And let's just also preface our discussion here with border enforcement, immigration. This was central to Trump's agenda, central to why he was elected. This is, you know, you can't say, ah, you know, it's not that, not that big a deal. This is essential. This is central to making America great again. I mean, this is what Trump promised. Part of it is that enforcement has gone up. I get that, right? You have greater law enforcement activity at the border, which will result in a higher number of arrests, proportionally speaking. But I think it would be foolish 
to just assume that, oh, yeah, and we all know, right? It's not, it's not just because. They've gotten so much more aggressive and so much better at, at enforcing what's going on at the border. That's just not, that's just not realistic. There are also, there's an increase in illegal crossings. And I have to say, I think it's because there is a belief based on some of what the administration has said and some of what it has not done, like build a wall, that it is going to be business as usual for illegal immigrants in this country. And that's a very big problem. The, the narrative is not just for our own political consumption here. It's not just, oh, you know, what do Democrats and Republicans think about what's going on at the border? There's, another, there's a whole other component of this, which is what does the rest of the world, most importantly, what, are those, uh, who, what do those sor- uh, south of our border think of our immigration policies, any changes that exist in them, any shifts in enforcement tactics, procedures, policies? Because if they think, that the overwhelming likelihood is they're going to be allowed to stay if they come in illegal. One, that they'll be able to get across the border, and two, they'll be able to stay if they do. You're going to see this happen. 50,000 is a lot of people. You know, I just am reminded of the fact that, you know, remember we were being told during the Obama administration, like, oh, net immigration in this country is zero because of the economy. No way. No way. Okay, this was... I don't care what anybody says. There are illegals crossing every day, every month, year after year at our southern border. And then, so the number keeps going up and up and up. And that's also why, you know, let's just you have 50,000 a month last three months. So you're at a run rate of a half a million illegal crossings a year. How many people do you think cross the border illegally into this country and don't stay indefinitely? I'm going to guess it's a pretty small number. Right. So. Then we have to get to, and, and people, I look, I've even had, uh, I'm, I'm very open to having them back on to discuss this, too. The folks from the Center for Immigration Studies who are, are wonks on this, and they really crunch the numbers and they get it. But I'm asking them, I said, look, I just don't buy that the number has been 11 million for the past 10 years or so, and it just st- magically stays at 11 million. You know, they'll say, oh, maybe it's 12 million. You got a half a million visa over. This is a, a, a DHS number. This is a government figure. Okay. And they know this number. It's like the food stamp number. It's important because it's real. Like, it's not a guess. Uh, there are half a million visa overstays a year in this country. And a lot of them are long term overstays. There are right now 50,000 a month the last three months. And I know there was a drop last year and everything. But if this continues, we're looking at a few hundred thousand illegal. Well, by the way, those are just arrests. I'm sorry, those aren't cro- those are arrests. It's not even crossings. So when you look at the overall number, what do we think that maybe? Let's really do the math on this. I mean, some of this is math. Some of this is coming up with reasonable estimates. But if you have fifty thousand arrests at our southern border last month alone, how many people do you think got in illegally? I I think on a high end estimate, on a high end estimate, it is, uh, you know, they're they're catching half of the people. Let's just say, which seems yeah, Mike, you think that's too high? Oh no, Mike's on taking a phone call. It's all right. Hey, what what do you think? No, but what do you think though? I mean, if they're if they're arresting fifty thousand, I got to assume they're catching. 
I mean, if they were catching half of the people crossing the border illegally, they, that would be incredible work, I think, at the, given how big the border is. So then we got to be talking about thousands and thousands of, uh, tens of thousands of additional legal crossings each month. And yet the number always stays at 11 million. How is that, you know, at, at what point do we understand that our government has a vested interest in not really knowing and not really counting the number of illegal aliens in this country? Because think of what else it ties into. And I'm, I'm not even making the, and we could, but making the uh, direct case about MS-13 and violence and criminal illegal aliens in the, I mean, you know, take, take a look at some of the most wanted lists at, in, in areas where there are high levels of illegal alien concentration and, you know, call up that sheriff's office if you want, but there's a pretty good chance that some of the folks you're seeing are illegal aliens. So, that, but that's not even, I think the bigger long, the, the, the bigger risk long-term for the political class is we're already seeing that Social Security is going to start to be depleted three years earlier. That was just the estimate yesterday. Three years earlier than assumed. Medicare is also going to start running dry. And, and not in 50 years, but this is a mathematical formula for 10 to 15 years from now. Not that far off, really. In government terms, that's the blink of an eye. If, if this was in China, they would call that, you know, nothing. Not a big, not a big distance to, to cover for long-term national strategy. We think in much shorter terms here because, you know, our election cycles, 24-hour news cycle, all that. But if we really knew the full scale of illegal alien infiltration of the country... And the drain on public resources that that created. And then also we're staring at, let's say, a 25 or 30 trillion dollar debt, which is where we're heading real soon. I think people would have some questions. I think they'd want to they might want to rethink like, yeah, let's just take what is obviously going to be a high percentage of individuals. Who one have broken our laws, but just put all that aside for a second Two, are going to need a disproportionate amount of government resources and help, i.e. your tax dollars, to subsidize English as a second language training in school, to subsidize any, you know, you know, housing and food stamps and all this. And, you know, we've already got a very large welfare state for Americans, people that are here. Once we start expanding the welfare state to anyone who can get here, we have a very big problem. Borrow from Milton Friedman, you can't have open borders in a welfare state. We might not have fully open borders, but we're pretty close to that. And it's time we recognize this for the really big problem that, that it actually is. Uh, oh, but a little more uh, on DACA. I meant to get to that. Let's talk about DACA in just a moment here. And uh, then a whole bunch of other exciting things coming your way. Stay with me. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts. And the U.S. special forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis, an aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn Army major face an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. A catastrophe of biblical proportions is about to unfold. The new president is facing a ruthless, relentless caliphate, and our military and elected leaders have no means to stop it. The only real questions are when and where. This is Anubis. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain. 
This is Anubis. Eric Anderson is a former undercover U.S. intelligence agent. His new novel from Dunn Books is Anubis. That's A-N-U-B-I-S. Now on sale at Amazon.com or visit Dunn Books. That's DunnBooks.com. Can't pass a clean DACA bill without talking about the underlying reasons for illegal immigration. You got to address that as part of the fix. Because if you don't, these families coming across now will be your next DACA in 10 years. So let's stop kicking that can down the road. If you want to do a fix on DACA, let's talk about the overarching issues of illegal immigration. My experience, if you look at every time you talk about some sort of benefit, whether it's amnesty, whether it's DACA, people are going to take that chance. So it certainly increases uh, um, illegal crossings. Mm -hmm. That's That's been proven for the last three decades I've been around. That was ICE uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Chief Tom Homan. And he's just saying what's pretty obvious to all of us, right? I mean, it's important that he says it, but DACA begets more DACA. It already did. Under Obama, deferred action for childhood arrivals then got escalated into DAPA, deferred action for the parents of arrivals. You know, and after that, it was going to be DAFA for deferred action for the friends of arrivals. I mean, it's just going to keep going and expanding. And all of a sudden, it's all 11 million. Reagan, none other than Ronald Reagan himself, was sold a bill of goods by the Congress on how we're going to get enforcement. We're going to have mechanisms in place. You have to do this. You have to do that. And then you'll get your amnesty. As soon as the amnesty goes through, the enforcement does not happen. The amnesty does happen. And you just have encouraged a future wave or future waves over many years of illegal crossings into this country. And they have to do something about it. And, and I, I get a little frustrated. I see here that, uh, I mean, this, now this is from the Huffington Post, right? So this is a leftist website. But they say Republicans look ready to force a vote on Democrats' DACA proposal. And they're saying that GOP leaders continue to express optimism that they can come up with a bill addressing President Trump's four pillars on immigration, border security, DACA, eliminating the diversity visa lottery program, and curbing family-based immigration. Here's what I can tell you about this. Democrats are immigration extremists. They do not believe in enforcement. They do not want to change the system. They like the system exactly as it is. They talk about how it's broken. They like that it's broken. They talk about the loopholes. They like the loopholes. Because the current system brings in people that they believe, and all the polling and data supports it, are Democrat voters. And likely will be the parents of future Democrat voters. They will believe in a larger state. They'll believe in redistribution of wealth via the force of the state. And this is just the direction we're heading so they have no interest in changing it. I mean, the notion that there's going to be some kind of a compromise of the Democrats on this, I think, is, is really a fantasy. And as I've told you with DACA, you, you, it's, look, it's very, I understand it's a very compelling issue on a case-by-case basis. It's, you, know, you can be very uh, emotionally uh, drawn to supporting a lot, of the, a lot of people who, assuming they were brought here as kids, and they're not lying, because some people are lying. We know lots of people are lying about this. There is a an understandable desire um, 
to want to help people and to be be humane about this. But until the border is actually shut down as a as a, a free for all for illegal crossings, we can't even have the discussion. And if you're going to present any kind of amnesty first, then it's it's all over, folks. I mean, this is it. We're just going to be processing illegal illegal entrance for the next 50 years. And think about what that does to the economic and political character of this country. It does change it over time because the assimilation process can be overwhelmed. Right? Assimilation in, in the past in America there were way there were there was an immigration wave and then a shutdown. That's always the way it's been. They act like it's been open arms forever. That's a lie. Or it's historical ignorance. With Democrats it's usually both. But if we let in some waves of immigrants, then we say, okay, let's tighten things up for a while. There's another wave of immigrants, and they tighten things up for a while. It has been in a progression like that for our whole existence. Now it's just been millions and millions of illegals. We'll get into more of this uh, soon. If you think having your credit card stolen is bad, it's nothing compared to home title theft. Everything is online these days. That includes your home's title. And thieves at home and all over the world hunt homeowners here in America because we have equity. And guess what? They'll steal that equity. They will take you off your home's title and add an alias, then borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars using your home's equity and then sticking you with the payments. You're not going to know until you get a late payment notice. Identity theft programs don't protect you. Neither does insurance. But Home Title Lock safeguards your home's title from cyber thieves and hackers by putting an online perimeter around your home's title. The instant they detect someone tampering with it, they're on it, they'll help you, they'll shut it down. This is for pennies a day, folks. Home Title Lock protects your most valuable asset, your home. Register for a free analysis to see if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Some of you will recall a story I talked about here, uh, talked about here uh, a few weeks ago, where a woman in Texas claimed uh, that she had been kidnapped and raped by a police officer during a traffic stop. And fortunately, there was body camera footage and dash camera footage and audio of every minute of the entirety of their um, time together. And not only the officer not you know, kidnapped and raped the woman, the officer was completely professional, did nothing wrong, and it was a, it was a drunk stop, and she you know, blew too high on the breathalyzer and, and then turned around and made up this whole story. And I said to you, you know, we... we I understand right now that the political winds are, are with the whole, the, there's a Me Too movement and the right to be believed, and there's a lot of additional sensitivity out there right now for any kind of, uh, for, for making sure that, one, people feel comfortable coming forward with real crimes against them, of course, but also there's a sense that the the allegation right now is, often enough to do somebody in, at least to destroy their reputation and get them fired. And, and I've, I've had concerns about that. And I said, whenever someone comes forward with a, a demonstrably false 
allegation of sexual assault or rape against a person. It can't just be, oh, I'm glad that we figured out the truth of that. There need to be consequences for those false accusations. Right? There has to be consequences for this because you're talking about allegations that could have ruined someone's life and that were completely unnecessary and, and malicious malicious uh, so i was interested to see this case fox news reporting on it today that a a woman at sacred heart university uh who was 19 years old made up an allegation against two football players that they had raped her she went to police with it claimed they had raped her and she did it quote to gain the sympathy of another student she wanted to date, end quote. Now, I, I know that this, this for some people, is a, it's a very, this whole topic, you get in a very sensitive territory. I also saw this uh, judge, the one who gave Brock Turner, the swimmer from Stanford, uh, gave him a six-month sentence, sentence for sexual assault. He's been recalled because people were so horrified at, at his sentence. I know there's a lot of very strong feelings about this, and, and the moment you start to talk about this, you know, you feel like, well, I never want to uh, minimize or disregard or the reality of all the sexual assault that's occurring out there because it is a very real problem. It's, it, is, it is widespread, and it's something that should never happen, and it does happen. But there are also stories that are not true. There's a whole industry out there of campus uh this particular college campuses campus uh, rape uh analysts or i don't know what you would really call them it's sexual assault people that warn you about sexual assault on campus uh, you know there's diversity educators so that's one thing that's like indoctrinating your kids or indoctrinating you if you're college age into uh left-wing multiculturalism and all the rest of it uh, but there's also these people that come into campus and, and they talk to you about how, you know, any any sex during a, uh, an, a, a, a situation where there's alcohol involved is rape, they'll say, or sexual assault. Or when these terms are used kind of interchangeably, they're not always interchangeable. But I also saw for the first time a guy beat this was just in the last few weeks. I know reason report on this. I forgot the school. But a guy beat the, quote, beat the woman to the punch, so to speak, and accused, they were both really drunk, he accused her of sexual assault at a campus tribunal, not to the police, and they found her guilty. And I kept, because I've been saying for a long time, most of the time when there's a, a sexual encounter that involves alcohol, particularly among young adults, college, you know, college kids, uh, both parties are, are drunk. And I know people in college who had, you know, had. To, I know people who ended up like dating who their first sexual encounter, they practically both blacked out, right? And they didn't think it was a big deal. They just figured whatever. But the point is, well, what happens then? Have you, you know, if if somebody turns around and regrets the encounter, is it is that an assault or who assaulted who? If you're both inebriated and but both consenting but both under the influence, so and that's actually happened now, where a guy and a girl were both drunk and he accused her and they held her responsible at least by campus rules which is also why i hate these these campus tribunals are it's just they're they're nonsensical it doesn't 
it's a bad idea for them to set them up. It's a criminal matter. It should be re- referred to the police immediately. It's not something that some dean in his spare time should be sorting out. Anyway, but back to this case in uh, in New York, uh, New York, uh, in, in Long Island, I think it was. So this woman accused these two football players of raping her, and she did it, as we now know, she is now admitted to gain the sympathy of some other guy. So she just made up this story because she wanted sympathy from a guy she wanted to date. I mean, it's a, I mean this is horrible. Think of it. You know, think about it. You're the, you're the family of these two men, these two football players. And your son has to come home and say to you, you know, uh, I have to go to the, maybe they even got arrested in front of you. I don't know. But your son sits in the living room and says, I've, I've been accused of raping a girl. And even though the son says, you know, I, I swear it was, you know, I didn't. Think of all the damage, all the psychological, the emotional trauma of, of, of that false accusation, what that's done. And this is the first time I've, I've seen this. And it was a close call, from what I can gather here. Usually they let this go. I'll tell you about another case where they let lying about rape go, and it led to a murder. Because there's all, look, it's, it's just strictly a political sensitivity thing, folks. People that they don't want to prosecute even a lying woman who claims that she was raped. This DAs generally don't want to prosecute that. They say, okay, you know, maybe just why I don't know because the destruction you can create in someone's life is you can you can straight up ruin somebody's life with that false accusation. A jury was about to be selected in this case, which means. You know, they were moving ahead with this. They were going to prosecute, and she was going to face a a felony count here uh, and and face some real consequences for it. And I got to say, I give the uh, assistant state's attorney uh, credit for doing the right thing here where they took a plea bargain, but this woman is going to spend a year in prison. She got a three-year suspended sentence after she serves one year in prison, followed by three years probation. Or is this in, I'm sorry, this is in Connecticut, folks, not in New York. Uh, so she's going to jail. Yeah, that's right. She's going, she's going to serve time for this allegation. And clearly, I guess her lawyers figured that that was never really going to happen. And, and they figured it would be like so many of these other cases where there's a false accusation of a sexual assault or a rape. By the way, also, for serious crime, people don't accuse other people of murder just because. People do accuse people of sexual assault just because. It happens. I actually know people that it has happened to. So uh, I, I, I knew somebody in college who was a few years younger than me who had to deal with this in the criminal justice system. Whole thing was recanted. Think about that. Had to get a ju- had to go in front of a judge. Had to, and then the young woman came up and said, you know what? I've, I, 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 I have an emotional problem, psychological problems. I, yeah. Recanted. Usually you don't show up in court. You're like, yeah, that guy, that guy, you know, murdered my brother. But, um, actually I just made all that up. That, that doesn't really happen. Right. So there's something going on. There's something different here. But that she had to serve a one-year sentence, I think this is, uh, or she will have to serve a one-year sentence. This sends a message. This is a story. I saw Fox was covering it today. I think that's good. This needs to be taken with the utmost seriousness, and no more passes for 
look, it's it's a different thing to say you can't prove the crime. Obviously, we don't want people just because they can't prove. No, no one's saying that they should suffer consequences. But when it is demonstrable that you have falsely accused someone of sexual assault or rape, you should face serious consequences for that. Because you are weaponizing the legal system against somebody else in a way that ruins their life, and there's never an excuse for it. So I, I am all in, I'm all in favor of what this, uh, what this state's attorney did. And we should see more of this. But just as, as an aside, for those who are thinking, oh, Buck, maybe I, I, don't, I don't know about that. It seems like you know, you're just going to be prosecuting people that have emotional, psychological issues, which is probably going to be a lot of them. But um, I believe her name was, and Mike, check me on this one as I go through. I believe her name was Crystal um, Mangum was the exotic dancer that accused the Duke lacrosse team of uh, a, a gang rape that we now know was a complete hoax made up, was accusing people that weren't even in the house where it occurred. were miles away at an ATM machine. So just she was a liar and obviously a, a, a very disturbed, a disturbed person. And, uh, they didn't bring any charges against her. They, they, Nifong, who was the prosecutor in that Duke lacrosse case, which is a case that all Americans should know inside and out, by the way, because it shows you also how deep the rot in academia goes. But Nifong, who was the Durham prosecutor, knew the kids were innocent, but wanted to prosecute them anyway, by the way, because he just wanted to, he was trying to pander to the minority community in Durham and get reelected and figured these lacrosse players, these quote rich, they weren't rich, by the way, quote rich lacrosse players, uh, got what's coming to them. Am I right about that? Yeah, I'm right about all the names. Thank you, Mike. I just like Mike to confirm that I'm, I'm right about everything. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. By the way, John's going to get me now with a, with a sweep the leg and a buck slap the next time I mess up, which will probably be the next segment. Anyway, back to serious talk here. Uh, so Crystal Mangum was the accuser in that, and they didn't bring any charges against her for that massive case, false accusations at all. They just let it all go. All of her false statements, everything was let go. You know, later on, she... Uh, Murdered her boyfriend with a knife. Stabbed him to death. Maybe that guy would still be alive today if Crystal Mangum had actually suffered some consequences for trying to ruin the lives of a whole bunch of guys that didn't do anything to her. Maybe the justice system needs to rethink a little bit of its, of its general position on that issue. Remember, it wasn't that they couldn't prove it. It was that it was, she was a, they were as sure that she was a liar as they would have to be sure that they somebody else was guilty to send them away to prison, right? No consequences, and somebody died. She's she went to prison for manslaughter later. So, I you know that's that's what happens when you say, oh, we we don't want to add. You know, this is just a mess. We want to walk away from this. The at least the innocent people aren't being punished. Bearing false witness is uh, it's one of the commandments for a good reason, my friends. You and I all know this. And uh, so this case really really struck me because this is the first time I've ever seen somebody get time for lying uh, in a rape case like this, and this should be the standard. You lie about someone raping you, and and the authorities know it, and you admit it, and it's clear. Criminal charges should be filed against you for that. Uh, That's that's how I feel about it. Uh, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We've got so much more coming your way. Third hour, we've got Sarah Carter joining us to uh, tell us a little bit about what to expect with that Inspector General report. Uh, She's got the inside track. She's been breaking massive stories on this all along. Sarah is a 
first-class investigative journalist and also just one of the nicest people on the planet. So I'm always, like, so happy to have Sarah on. Husband's a veteran. She's got the cutest kid. She's the greatest. Anyway, she'll be joining us in uh, just a few moments, and uh, we'll be right back. President's made a bunch of important reforms on, on lower taxes and, and regulatory rollback, taken the handcuffs off a lot of industries, now banking, now energy. And, you know, the economy is coming on. It's only been about a year. People said we couldn't ever get to 3%. In fact, people said 1% to 2 is going to be the range. We're now moving through 3 President Trump has ended the war on business. He's ended the war on success. We're not punishing anymore. He wants people to take a rip at the ball. That's his argument. It's a pretty compelling argument, isn't it? And Larry Kudlow does a very good job of uh, presenting it, I think, to the American people. This is one of the biggest problems they've got on the left, folks. What are they going to argue? They're going to say we hate this awesome economy? Hey, awesome economy, I hate your face. Uh, I mean, they can try. I mean, I think Pelosi's going to try. Yeah, yeah, your face. I think she's going to try, but it's not an easy... Yeah, Pelosi talking a little a little gangster is... That would be amazing, by the way. We get Pelosi to come on and do that. I don't think she'll do the show. I, I have a feeling this is not really up her alley. Once in a while, I've had people that are like, yeah, well, they'll, they'll come on, and, you know, they'll, they'll, their staff will say they'll come on, and then they're like, uh, actually, we did a little research, and I'm like, yes, that's right, I'm a conservative. They're like, oh my gosh! thought there was some other kind of show. Speaking of shows, the this would be the best show. I, I don't even know. With Trump, the show keeps getting better and better. There are reports now, brace yourselves, folks, that Donald Trump is considering hosting North Korean leader Kim Jong-un at Mar-a-Lago. This is the most boss thing ever. I don't even know what to say. Think about the photos like you're going to see if this happens, which I think is a remote possibility. But if this happens, you're going to have like Kim Jong-un walking around in Madra shorts and like a pink polo shirt, playing golf, drinking mimosas, like, you know, hanging out with like Melania will probably get some some of Trump's friends, you know, come down there and chilling. Just just that's right. Kim Jong-un just just kicking it by the pool. I mean. Maybe this is the way. Maybe this is the way you get a diplomatic breakthrough. Little take, Rocket Man. Yeah, exactly. You know, let Little Rocket Man rip it on the dance floor a bit after he's had a couple of caipirinhas. You know, hanging out at Mar-a-Lago. Tell Trump to bring a bunch of his model friends. You know, I, mean, I don't know. This kind of reminds me of Bill Murray and Ghostbusters. You know, this guy's a sailor. He's in town. We show him a good time. We're not going to have any trouble. That's for the Stay Puff Marshmallow Marshmallow Man. And yes, some of you are going to say, Buck, you adjusted that quote to make it family-friendly, but of course I did. It's a family-friendly show. Uh, we got our friend Sarah Carter joining us here in just a few minutes. She's going to give you some real insight into what that IG report's going to say. going to be a bombshell against the deep states, I can promise you that much. And uh, then I've just got some other things to discuss with you that are going to be, like like the Eagles, a little follow-up on that, and Bill Clinton, which is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to love every second of it. Join me, especially all you ladies listening across the country. Send you a hug. Hiring used to be hard, it's true. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes. 
a confusing hiring process, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. Uh, ZipRecruiter is a place unlike any other when it comes to getting the top talent you need for your business. ZipRecruiter puts your job on over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but doesn't stop there. They have a matching technology that I have used. You type in certain keywords, and it makes sure that its algorithm finds you the people that you really want that have the skills you need and the background that matches up perfectly with that job you posted. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter.com slash S-E-X-T-O-N. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back, everybody. The inspector general at the Department of Justice is days away from releasing what is being touted as a bombshell report regarding the investigation into the Hillary Clinton email matter. Well, what can we expect with this one and what might be coming down the pike? We have Sarah Carter with us now. She is an intrepid investigative journalist. Fox News contributor, you can see her pieces that always light up the boards online at sarahacarter.com. Sarah, great to have you back, my friend. Uh, Tell me about this. Lawmakers warn the IG being pressured to slow roll Clinton FBI report. This is your latest. Yeah, this is uh, this is the latest, and this is a, a big concern for lawmakers right now back on Capitol Hill. They have been waiting patiently for this report for more than a year now. Uh, what I do know is that the report will be more than 400 pages. Some people have estimated it will be close to 500 pages. I have been told that it is extremely long and thorough. It's going to focus on uh, FBI Director Comey. Uh, He certainly will be chided in the report uh, by Inspector General Horowitz. Uh, Part of the concern right now for lawmakers is that the significant people that are involved in this report, those people like McCabe, Comey, um, FBI, DOJ uh, personnel that were involved in the Hillary Clinton uh, email server investigation now have an opportunity and have been for the last several weeks reviewing the report along with their, if they have attorneys or representatives uh, from their agencies. And one of the things that they're concerned about is that they're trying to get large, significant portions of the report redacted. That means the public would not know uh, what was behind those, you know, black lines. And also slow rolling that report. A lot of people are afraid it's even coming out this Friday. That might not seem like a slow roll, but if it drops on a weekend and it drops right before the North Korea summit, uh, the American public will be none the wiser. And uh, as you know, news takes over and there will be little focus on the report. Uh, I think that it's normal to have a little bit of a wait time. We know the report was completed about two weeks ago and that Michael Horowitz does want to give an opportunity for people to rebut and, and add to the report or make any concerns from that report. But I think it's about time that that report come out. Uh, Lawmakers are hoping it comes out soon. If not this week, they're hoping that he'll hold off at least one week and get it out the week after the North Korea summit so they can really focus their attention on this. 
what can you tell us about the the expectations uh, for redactions versus transparency? I, 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 my understanding is there will be a what a classified addendum or a classified section to this that obviously the public will not be allowed to see. But in terms of the information that will be released, uh, do we do we have do we have any reason to trust that they haven't redacted things that uh, that shouldn't have been, or they, that they haven't redacted things that shouldn't have been based on the attempt to avoid embarrassment instead of national security concerns? <laughs> Such a great question, Buck, because we've seen that happen over and over again over the last year and a half. There have been so many redactions. Even the fact that McCabe uh, spent $80,000 on, on a table uh, that was redacted out of one of the text messages and, and information being redacted out of the text messages that had nothing to do with national security. Uh, and that's been the back and forth battle here on Capitol Hill. I mean, behind closed doors, I can tell you from speaking to sources, um, senior lawmakers, as well as DOJ officials, there have been pretty much uh, screaming matches between uh, the two over these redactions that have happened. And then eventually they, they become unredacted, but it's weeks later or sometimes months later. The only reason anything should be redacted in this report is if it affects either sources or methods. Um, and anything like that, that would be national security related, okay, you know, everybody here is in agreement, redact those parts of the story. But for malfeasance, or embarrassment? No, absolutely no redactions. The American public has to see what's in this report. We have to be able to make uh, judgment calls here on what's been happening, uh, particularly with the investigation into the Hillary Clinton server scandal. I mean, there were a lot of issues about how far Director Comey uh, let this go, why he dropped this case, why they brought no case against them, why weren't there people even inside the interviews, uh, why weren't they put under oath, so why was Cheryl Mills, who was a witness, allowed to represent Hillary Clinton when the FBI interviewed her? So there's a number of questions here that people have. Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and their involvement. Uh, so there are going to be a lot of people screaming mad if these redactions are significant and if these redactions don't just focus on sources and methods. That's the only thing that should be redacted from that report. Everything else should be open so that Congress can re- review uh, and, make, and make their best uh, step forward as to where are they going to take this from here. I do believe that Inspector General Horowitz will have a criminal referral based on this report. And I think that's some of the delay that we're seeing here. Of course, everybody's lawyered up uh, and uh, and their attorneys are going to be looking at this very carefully to try to mitigate any damage for people that are in the report. Just one more question for you before we let you get back to breaking many of the very big stories, Sarah, that have tied into all of this uh, IG reporting and, 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 and leading up to it, the Hillary investigation, the Russia collusion probe. Uh, Do you think that we're going to find out new information in this report, or is it just going to confirm much of what we already know? I think it's going to confirm much of what we already know, but I do believe with the access that Inspector General Horowitz has had, the ability to interview, personally interview a lot of the players uh, in the FBI, a lot of the players players we haven't even heard yet publicly. 
I think that we're also going to find some new information in this report. So I think uh, it's twofold. I think there's going to be a lot of confirmation. And obviously, we don't know because the inspector general has been very tight-lipped about this report. There's been leaks here and there from the people who have seen the report. Remember, those leaks are not coming from the IG's office. Those leaks are coming from people that have had access to the report, people who are rebutting the report. Um, but I think we're going to also see some very significant new information developed there. Uh, remember, the Inspector General wasn't just talking to the folks that we know about, Comey, McKay, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Bruce Orr, maybe, and, and others. But what they, what they were doing was interviewing a number of FBI agents whose names we don't know, uh, people who would have been well aware of the situation that was going on inside the Bureau on the seventh floor. And I think that's going to be pretty eye-opening. Yeah, we, we've heard some reporting, Sarah, about whistleblowers, or we've read some reporting about whistleblowers from within the FBI ranks who want to come forward, who have been described as disgusted by what happened during the Hillary email probe within the Bureau one, do you know, have you heard similar things? I mean, can, can you confirm that those folks are out there? And two, is it your belief that they will be heard in some capacity in this report? Absolutely. I think there was enormous frustration. I know this for a fact from speaking to sources, uh, myself within the Bureau. There was enormous frustration when uh, Director Comey, then Director Comey, made the announcement that they were going to drop any case against Hillary Clinton, and he kind of swept that under the rug and made it publicly. Uh, I could tell you this, some of the sources that I spoke to in field offices across the United States, some people threw sandwiches uh, at Director Comey at the television. Uh, when they were watching him, others in, uh, in other places and other field offices literally got up and walked out of the office and didn't return for four or five days and just said they, they just couldn't believe it. They were so disgusted with it. Now, whether or not they are going to testify or whether or not they've already spoken, I believe some of them have already spoken to the inspector general. Uh, remember, people in the bureau that are working in the bureau um, won't go in and just talk. They have to be subpoenaed. Uh, I know in the case of um, Michael Flynn, there was another agent that interviewed him along with uh, Peter Strzok. Uh, and that agent, I have been told from a number of sources, would be willing to talk about the interview, talk about his interactions with McCabe. He was named actually by Senator Grassley in a letter um, if he is subpoenaed by Congress. And I am baffled as to why Congress has not yet subpoenaed uh, the other agent in this case. Um, right now, Senator Grassley is going through protocol, so he's going through the FBI, but really all he has to do is send a subpoena to this FBI agent's home, and uh, they would definitely get him in front of, uh, of their committee and be able to speak to the public about what's been going on here. Sarah, promises you'll stay on this until we get answers, all right? Yeah, absolutely, Buck. All right. Sarah A. Carter, everybody. SarahACarter.com is where you go for her latest pieces. Sarah Carter is the journalist, also is here on Fox News. Sarah, great to talk to you. Come back soon. Looking forward to it, Buck. Thank you. All right, team, there you have it. A lot of talk about this IG report. Uh, it is gonna be it's gonna be a rough news cycle for the Comeyists. That much I think we can we can certainly expect. Beyond that, I really want to know if we hear from some of the rank and file FBI folks on this one. That would be a game changer. So we will have to keep our eyes on it. And we'll be right back. Our sponsor this half hour is Nine Line Apparel. Look, these guys are awesome. Go check out their site. You'll see for yourself. I currently am sitting here speaking to you in a Veteran Lives Matter t-shirt that is courtesy of Nine Line Apparel. 
It is comfortable. It is cool. And whenever someone sees me wearing it, they're like, oh, here's a guy who supports not just a veteran owned and operated company, but also the cause of veterans and patriotism in this country. So wear your politics on your chest. Literally tell people what you believe in, what you stand for and do it in a stylish way that keeps you comfortable year round. Visit NineLineApparel.com and use coupon code BUCK20 to save 20% off your next order. Again, NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20 will get you 20% off. It's a great deal. That's a real savings for you off what folks would usually be paying on that website. NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20. Check it out. When I saw the interview, I thought that because they had to, you know, distill it. And it looked like I was saying I didn't apologize and I had no intention to. And I was mad at me. It wasn't my finest hour. That was a very painful thing that happened uh, 20 years ago. And I apologized to my family, to Monica once again, her family, to the American people. I'm in it then, I'm in it now. I've had to live with the consequences every day since. And I still believe this Me Too movement is long overdue. Wow. Bill Clinton just, you know, he's out there. He he cannot stay away from a camera, from, from giving a speech, from lecturing the American people. This is this is who he is. He has to be the center of attention. There there is a hole in his soul that can only be filled with you know, public, if not adulation, at least attention. And you know, Newt weighed in on on Bill as well here. Play clip three. I feel sorry for Bill Clinton. Now, this is a guy who rose to the highest office in America, who. Has first of all has to now be with Hillary after her second defeat, and that whole arrangement didn't quite work out the way it should have, from their standpoint. Uh, he is going to spend the rest of his life in this cloud, uh, and and doesn't seem to be able to get to closure and just move on. Didn't I mean, he create that cloud for him though? Isn't yeah, he I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not defending him. He I'm just said. saying when you watch him, you're watching somebody who clearly is so much less than he wanted to be. Yeah, I guess that's true. Although, I don't know if Bill Clinton has the introspection to really see it that way. I'm not sure that Bill Clinton is somebody who sits around saying, well, you know, I've really disappointed myself. I really didn't live up to expectations of what I was supposed to be. So, maybe in his uh, deepest, darkest moments. I also think that Newt was given... Even a little bit of the rough stuff to to Bill there when he said he has to, like, be with Hillary after her second defeat. Yeah, she's lost two presidential elections, and that's got to leave. That's got to leave some difficult emotions and everything else. But it's also kind of like, you know, he's stuck with, hello, I want to run again. Number three, I want to be a third time loser. I mean, that's that's what might happen. Can you imagine that conversation, too? Like, it's, it's hard enough to have a difficult conversation, you know, when you're in college with your girlfriend or something. You know, can you imagine you're married to Hillary for whatever, going on 40 years now? 
and she's like round three and you're like oh my gosh he, you know he but but the reality is i think bill would go for it because he doesn't know anything else there is no part of him that's like you know what i'm just going to be a good person and a good neighbor and take care of my family and hang out he has to be important that's really what this is about for a lot of people politics for a lot of politicians politics is a proxy for their own self-importance and and that's why they are so drawn to it and that's what the draw is for them and so one of the funny things to watch play out is how people who are so motivated by their own massive egos how they interact with each other because they're all like oh i'm all about the policies and you know all that kind of stuff you know i love america and america loves me now that I don't have a cold, I can actually kind of do it again. Or my cold's a little bit better. But the truth is, they're all angling with, you know, and against each other to try to be the one who loves America the most. Right? I mean, you know, they, and, and some of these politicians, you know, they, they obviously don't care how completely and utterly self-absorbed they come across. And Bill Clinton certainly falls in that category. He even was willing to throw a little shade at the Obama administration last night. Play clip one. President Obama, I think, I think he did a really good job, but I think he could have done even more if all of us who voted in 2008 for, and 2012 for him had also voted in 2010 and 2014. And I think that... So, 2016. Yeah. Well, well, 2016, they had Vladimir in there messing with it a little bit, too. Let me just be the first one to say that I'm not often going to be in this position. I actually want to stand up for Obama here for a second. It is not Obama's fault that Hillary lost. Okay? I think that's really unfair. Uh, do I think that Obama was all about Hillary? No. But should he have to carry Hillary on his shoulders? Definitely not. Should he be the one that has to convince people to vote for, as I believe I described her yesterday, or, well, as I have been describing her, this corrupt, cronious kleptocrat. It's a fun alliteration. And that's really what she is. Just can't find enough to take and can't find enough ways to sell access and influence and enrich herself and engorge her power. Uh, that's, what, that's what her main motivation is, day in and day out. And that's what it's been for a very long time. But, you know, the excuse brigade that Hillary has deployed for a long time now, Bill's kind of a part of it, too. I'm, I'm hoping that we get more of this. Lots more Clinton. I want Hillary out there. I actually think that some Republican congressional candidates would be wise to invite Hillary along for what, whatever campaign stops, you know, whatever they've got. I think I think they should invite Hillary along. And just be like, hey, tell them what tell them about how you think things should be in this country. And she'd, you know, go walk out there and be like, you know, I want to shut down coal mines and I hate commerce that doesn't benefit me directly. I mean, you know, just say crazy stuff. Just say crazy stuff. I mean, it wouldn't be that crazy, but she's not charming. She's and I mean, charming in, in the political charisma sense. She's not somebody who's going to be able to get a room excited about voting for her in the future. And she helps, I think, right now, the Republicans who say, this is what the Democrats were offering to you as 
their vision of a technocratic, a skilled technocratic future for you. Somebody who's really not a technocrat. Hillary Clinton is expert in one thing and one thing only, advancing Hillary Clinton's career and prospects. There's really nothing else. She's not a talented lawyer, not a, you know, not, not, not a policy expert. You know, we let this not slide, but we often forget. She managed to tell people that she had been Secretary of State, and she did not know what the literally the lowest standard of classification marking was in a document. You know, if, if you walked into a, an investment bank and you said, I don't know what a stock is, people might wonder how competent you were as an investment banker uh, or a stockbroker. But, you know, Hillary can say that she basically wasn't able to read the documents that the State Department was producing and understand them, and everyone was okay with that. Today, well, more Bill Clinton is better. It'll help us out. It'll be uh, be good for the whole the whole squad. I've got a whole lot more coming, team. Stay right there. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I don't give a damn if the Philadelphia Eagles go to the White House or not. I'm glad he didn't and disinvited them. This is ridiculous. The world's at a tenuous point with North Korea. We're talking about a bunch of multimillionaire athletes who want to make a statement to Trump. Well, Trump made a statement to them. Don't come. You know, we did something last season that was very special. It's a milestone here in the city of Philadelphia, our organization. And uh, I was looking forward to going down and being recognized as world champions. And, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. Um, We're here today, got an OTA practice. I'm focused on these next couple of days, getting through next week and on to training camp. So that's where we're at. Now, I'm I'm not discussing it. It's over. What you've seen and what you've heard is enough. And I'm not, I'm not discussing. I'm not going to stand here and discuss it because we got two OTA practices. I got a mandatory camp next week, um, and I'm focused on that. No, we're united. We're a team. Been that way, been that way since I've been here. So the Eagles did not land at the White House, as you know. And now it's kind of funny because everyone's like, "Well, I guess that was a fun thing to talk about for a day or so." We were discussing it down here in D.C. in, in my uh, my new newsroom, and. I know, right? I'm, I'm dropping all kinds of hints. The buck is involved in the project, folks. Don't worry, it doesn't affect radio at all. Just, just going to be adding a missing piece to what I've been up to, which is uh, going to be a lot of fun. I can't say more than that right now, but I do, I do work in a, uh, in a newsroom these days before I go on radio, so I can say that. We were talking, though, about how this Eagle story, it's one of these things where it's such a talker, you know, people have opinions on it. They want to share those opinions. But when push comes to shove or when block comes to tackle, if you know what I No, actually, that doesn't. That was super weak. I know Mike Mike should give me a timeout for that one. Yeah, no good. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the Eagles are, I mean, the, this whole story is one of these things where it just turns into a, a proxy for the cultural and political debates that are happening uh, with with in the rest of the country with other things that actually matter, you know, at some point it turns into a who, who cares, right? I, I'm willing to even say that I am generally in favor of cutting back on the 
uh, you know, the, the pomp and pomp and ceremony of the White House and you know, having these different visitors and all, all that kind of stuff. Right. I, I'm not somebody who says, oh, yeah, we should just you know, we should just have celebrities go down to the White House because why not? Uh, and I feel that way for every administration. And let's be honest, professional athletes are generally celebrities. Now, as we've been discussing, you know, Kim Kardashian was there. She represents certainly a, a type of, of very uh, lucrative celebrity. But she got results on a real issue. You know, she got someone that got the president to pardon somebody. Just showing up for high fives, I don't know, for sports teams. I, I guess it's a fair use of the president's time. It's fine, but it's not It's not really important. But I just think it's funny how many folks now are... Hey, look, we all get caught in this, right? Because your political opponents start weighing in on this stuff, and they make it about all these other things. But then the, when everyone realizes that the dust is kind of settling and nothing really changed and doesn't really matter, that's when like, well, yeah, no reason to talk about that whole situation. We're too good. <laughs> Lindsey Graham, you know... I don't give a damn about the Eagles. That's pretty. No, that wasn't. It was not nearly Lindsey Graham. I don't give a damn. No, I can't do it. I can't really do a full fledged. I'm not good at the Lindsey Graham impression. Uh, I feel like people think they're good. Lindsey Graham is kind of like a Scottish accent. People think they're good at it, but they're actually terrible. So I'm going to try to avoid that. But uh, the Eagles head coach there, you know, he, he's he got to say this. I understand. I don't know. Producer Mike, is he a good guy? Do we know anything about the Eagles head coach? Do we like him? Yeah, I love him. I think he's a great Yo, guy. Oh, he's a good dude. Okay, yeah, so that's why I asked Mike. All right. Yeah, so, you know, he's got to – look, for his first part, he's sticking by his team. I get that. Uh, but I'm glad that finally it sounds like we're going to move beyond this. But you know what's going to happen, folks? Here, Here's a safe prediction. You ready for this one? The issue of locker rooms, uh, staying in the locker room during the, the issue of locker rooms in general, staying in the locker room during the national anthem, raising, uh, you know, a fist during the anthem, taking a knee. That will all return. This is not, I can almost guarantee you, this is not the end of all of that. This is not the, uh, the, the final word on whether people should kneel during the anthem or, or should be allowed to kneel during the anthem. Because remember, the, the policy just came out. And Mike, all, all the teams right are subject to this now. So if someone kneels, the team gets fined. That's the rule right now. It's just some team said they'd pay the fine. Correct, yes. Uh, the only team I've heard so far is the Jets. I don't know about others, though. Woody Johnson, which is quite a name, and that's coming from a guy named Buck Sexton. But I think Woody Johnson's got me beat, by the way. That's, I, I I think that's a fair thing to say. He's the you know the owner there, and he says that he'll pay. They're fine, but in the whole country yesterday, if you were to look and see how much talk there was, I started off the show, or maybe I didn't start off the show, but early on in the show, I said this. Yeah, why are we, why are we going to talk about the Social Security Trust Fund? It's only something that a huge portion of America is hoping will be there for them in their retirement to help them pay bills and and live in retirement with dignity, right? That's you know. Why focus on that? That's years down the line when we could spend time arguing about were they disinvited, were they being disrespectful and all that. It's just one of these things. If you stand out of the fray, well, then you let the other side get the edge. But you get in the fray, you know, it's like the, you know, if you wrestle with wrestle with a pig, you're, you're going to get muddy. I'm sure that's a saying somewhere. It's got to be a saying. Personally, I'd rather eat the pig because bacon is delicious. I think I might go get some bacon-wrapped dates tonight at this uh, Spanish place I saw. 
pretty close to my apartment or my soon to be apartment, hopefully. All right, uh, we are going to get into a roll call here in just a few minutes. You know what that means. We're going to have a whole lot of fun. So please, team, stay right there. It's coming up. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. I feel like that rock song, sorry, my voice is still a little scratchy from the cold that I've had, but I feel like that uh, that rock song, you know, it, it, it's going strong, and then at the end, it kind of goes, it's not really, it does not maintain its initial level of, of awesome, so there's that. If you want to be a part of Roll Call, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, that is the place for you to... Uh, do the roll call, and uh, you can also send us an email at official, that is official, teambuck at gmail.com. Uh, that's another fun place we can all hang out. So uh, here do we here we go. First up, in the roll call, Deb, she writes, Hi, Buck, love your show. <laughs> like, people who want to be in roll call, they pay attention to these things. Like, what is the likeliest way to get this read on there? I would like to hear more about our debt and Social Security Medicare. Some insight is much needed on this. Uh, Well, Deb, you know, I'm with you on this. I I just feel like people would rather skip past it. They'd rather think about other things. They'd rather have discussions about NFL kneeling or the bikini competition. I keep getting corrected. People keep telling me today, oh, no, it's the swimwear competition. Not a lot of one-pieces. Miss America, not a lot of one pieces. I'm just saying. And definitely not a lot of burkinis either, which is a thing you can buy, believe it or not. There are full-length bathing suit burkas that, uh, let's say they leave a little too much to the imagination. You get excited about a little bit of ankle. Yeah, that's right. A little peak of that ankle bone. Ooh. Uh, Then you'll like the burkini, but if you're like the rest of us, Brings you back to the bikini and beer test. I always say it. It, it. Any country that you want to live in, you can wear a bikini and you can drink beer. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fair, it's a pretty fair rule, folks. Not a lot of variation uh, from the, you know, not, not a lot of deviation on that one. It's pretty, uh, pretty clear, I think. So next up here, we have uh, Timothy who writes, "Buck shields high." Just a a reminder, as I'm sure you're aware, today is the anniversary of D-Day. By the way, I'm highly flattered you put me in the same category as the legendary Tom Clancy, Shield High, Timothy. Well, yes, Timothy, it absolutely is D-Day, and uh, I always talk about it a little bit each year. And, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, one day I would like to have the bandwidth and the ability to really do fully produced uh, media segments on different aspects of of history. Basically, I want my own history channel, but that's going to take a little while. Let's just grow the radio show some more. But yes, D-Day is today. I got to say, the scene in Saving Private Ryan, where they arrive on that beach and they charge those Nazi machine gun nests, that's one of the best scenes in any movie I think I've ever seen. 
I still remember I was with my mom. I saw that in the theater, and it, it, it was breathtaking. Just this sense of realism and accuracy, and yeah, it was pretty incredible. Uh, it really was. So, all righty. Next up here, we have Sean. He writes, Hey, Buck, just wondering if you had read anything about the stunt woman, Joy Harris, who died in a motorcycle accident on the set of Deadpool 2. Apparently, she had no stunt driving experience, and many in the film community have said she was only hired because of diversity. She was doing stunts for the character of Domino, who is a black character, and they wanted to hire a black woman for her stunts rather than using an experienced stunt person uh, of a different ethnicity and making them appear black, which is often done on other films but has been criticized as a sort of blackface. You know, Sean, I honestly don't know anything about this. I hadn't heard about it. I do know that once in a while, stunt people, uh, you know, it, it is dangerous work that they do, and it is possible that people, can, they can lose their lives on the set of a movie. It, it, interesting, because I would understand, for the purposes of theatrical authenticity, you would want someone who looks like, and therefore is of the same race as the character that they are a stand-in for when it comes to stunts. But I, th- I think what you're telling me is that, and I can't weigh in on whether this person who died, first of all, terrible tragedy. I have no idea whether she was really qualified. Not qu- I have no idea. So I, I got to leave that to other people. I, I don't know the story. But just on this concept of a stunt person standing in for an actor of a different race, I, ca- I, can, I can believe that sensitivities there might, in fact, not just trump theatrical authenticity, but maybe even safety. Meaning that a person who, because they don't want to, let's say, make a uh, make a a white actor appear Latino or something, right? Or you know, a white actor appear black is the case that we're given here by by Sean. That they might have gone with somebody else for those stunts who had less experience but fit the profile. It's possible, but I, I honestly don't know. Interesting, interesting uh, situation though that you raised, and I appreciate it, uh, Sharon. Next up here, new listener, love the show. How about all the money Congress borrowed from Social Security over the years because there was just so much cash sitting there that they could not keep their hands off of it? They never talk about that from Sharon in Idaho. Yes, Sharon, it's true. They've been raiding the Social Security Trust Fund for years, and this has become like an old talking point inside the Beltway here in D.C., here in the swamp. People just decide that they're going to find a way to fund their little pet project, and we'll figure out the difference with uh, figure out the difference with the Social Security Administration later on. But I'm telling you, Democrats don't. You have to remember this: Democrats don't care if the Social Security Trust Fund runs low or if it even runs out of money, because they have a ready-made answer: raise taxes, raise taxes. That's it. And by the time you get to the point where you say, well, hold on a second, we've been paying into this. This was supposed to work. This is supposed to be a, you know, for, first of all, it was originally a very small retirement program. I believe it was mostly for, no, I, I don't want to speak out of turn on, on the specifics of, but it was a very small program. I, uh, you know, I think originally for orphans and widows, but I could be wrong. Or, or people returning from, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, my history might be, it's late in the day, late in the show. 
But it was a small program, that I can tell you. And now it's obviously something that all Americans pay into. Uh, so, yes, they will take money from it. They have no qualms doing it. And I think it's, it's wrong. And it puts us in a, really, in a really bad spot as a country. But they'll continue to do it because their answer is raise taxes. That is their answer. Um, next up here, we have a two-part message Ooh, from Matthew. Uh, first, for your audience, adding a movie quote in your nightly show is awesome. I am usually I, I usually am yelling at the radio some facts that I might have some knowledge. King Cake. Ah, King Cake, yes. I heard it is made during Mardi Gras. A plastic baby is put in the cake. If you get the cake slice with the baby, you have to buy the next year's cake. Uh, and then part two, I love the show. You and your crew do an amazing job. Well, thank you, Matthew. If you go to an In-N-Out burger, get the onions grilled. Amazing. Also ask for a lettuce wrap because of the gluten issue. Animal style will add sauce and pickles. I do go for animal style with the uh, lettuce wrap. Although there's something called the Flying Dutchman at In-N-Out Burger, which is a burger just without the bun, and I think it has bacon on it. It's pretty awesome. It's a ba- basically a bacon cheeseburger, no bun. But it might be a double bacon cheeseburger, no bun. Doesn't that sound good? And then he writes, on the fries, add cheese with fried onions. Eat it with a fork. I moved to Texas last year from California, and that is the largest thing I missed. But they have, Matthew, In-N-Out Burger in Texas. I've been to the In-N-Out Burger in Dallas. Uh, He says he does not understand what a burger. It's like a cheap Burger King. Um, Love y'all. Shields high. uh, Brother and sister Matthew. Well, thank you so much, sir. And, you know... I'm going to tell you this. I always am a big proponent of the burger. I say, get the burger. It's never a bad decision. Get the burger. You know what? Whataburger kind of let me down. I, I went there. I, I, had a, I had a burger at Whataburger, and I was uh, not impressed at Whataburger. So I'll just, be, I'll just be honest with you, and I'm just keeping it real. So there you have it. Um, Matthew, thank you so much for the note. All right, I, I guess we... Need to close up shop there for the Freedom Hut for tonight. Makes me a little sad, but at least now I get to go home and take a nap. Although, uh, I need to find an actual home home down here in the swamp. Working on that. Working on putting all that together. Uh, please do let me know your thoughts. Uh, you can send me an email at officialteambuck@gmail.com. Easiest, though, is also on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Uh, excited to be with you tomorrow like I am every day. Until next time, we all have our orders, including me. Shields high. For all of the employers out there, property owners, uh, people that need to get some information on those that they are engaged in business transactions with, which, by the way, is absolutely critical. you got to make sure you know who you're hiring. you got to make sure you know who you're doing business with, because otherwise you can get ripped off. And you don't want to have to try to go through the court process when you could have saved yourself all the pain by just knowing what you need up front. That's where top flight background investigations and vetting comes in, and that's why you need Global Verification Network. They are federally certified as a veteran-owned small business. These risk mitigation experts out of Chicago work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Whatever size business you have, whatever business you are in, if you are hiring, if you are a property owner who's going to be renting, these are the people you want doing that work for you. Call my or go to mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's mygvn.com. Global Verification Network.